0: So Money, episode 1152. Claire Wasserman, co-founder and author of the new book, Ladies Get Paid. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
1: Be the support to other women that you would like them to be for you. And you will see it pay off if just only in feeling confident in yourself.
0: Talking about how to get paid, what you deserve. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. This is The Motivation You Didn't Know You Needed This Monday. Claire Wasserman is the author of the new book, Ladies Get Paid. She's a friend of the show, and she is back to talk about her new best-selling book that follows the lives of real women who each face different professional challenges from being a perfectionist to navigating office politics to negotiating their salary and woven throughout The book is actionable advice and tangible tools to equip and empower readers to level up at work and bring other women with them. And she gives a lot of that advice on our episode today, including how to effectively negotiate for yourself in the COVID era where you may not be physically at work, why advocating for your fellow female colleagues can also be a win for you, and whether or not companies should be transparent about their salaries. Should they go public with that information? We discuss both sides to that. Before we head over to the interview, I want to just give a shout out to some of my podcast students who back in the summer uh, released over 40 different podcasts. And I know with the new year, a lot of us are looking for inspiration. And uh, my gift to them is to give them a little bit of a spotlight on So Money and highlight their amazing work. Today, I want to say congratulations to Lisette Zunon, who is the host of a show called Hashtag Up your confidence. It is, as she describes it, the destination podcast for female listeners seeking to build their self-esteem for maximize leadership skills and enhance performance at work and in life. This podcast will encourage women on how to be assertive by effectively utilizing their voice to speak up, speak out, and make themselves heard. Next, Timmy Booths, Adulting for Artists, Self-Improvement for Creatives. This podcast is a support system for artists of all types, whether you're an emerging artist, a dabbler, or just curious. If you're an artist or a musician, graphic designer, Timmy and her guests will share strategies, stories, and experiences to help you move forward on your chosen path. And also check out Behind the Spotlight with Beth Nideck. Beth has real deep conversations with entrepreneurs and celebrity visionaries. Listen as she takes your favorite entrepreneurs off a pedestal and onto a bar stool right next to you. That's behind the spotlight. And just congrats again to all of our students. If you'd like to learn more about my program, go to podcast.com. All right, now here is Claire Wasserman. Claire Wasserman, welcome back to So Money. How are you, my friend? I am great. Thank you so much for having me here. You were on last year, towards the end of last year. I was so excited then because I knew what was to come, which was your book, Ladies Get Paid, Breaking Barriers, Owning Your Worth, and Taking Command of Your of Your Career. It's finally here. Can you believe it? It's, I know, I, I can't. <laughs> And, and what was your feeling on the, you know, in the in t- anticipation of this coming out, knowing that it was going to come out in the pandemic, in a recession? Were you rewriting chapters? What was going on in the run up to this publication? You had at least the opportunity to sort of, you know, under know what was coming. Cause a lot of authors who published in, let's say the spring of last year had no idea because books get taken to the printing press months before.
1: I am so grateful. I was not one of those authors. I am I apologize on behalf of all of us to those authors. Yeah. My book came out uh, last week. So whatever month that is, January 12th. So there's been some time, you know, th- this is the new normal. And fortunately or unfortunately, I think people need this book more than ever, right? Mm-hmm. Folks are trying to figure out how to get Jobs, financial security, um, connecting with others. I have a whole section on networking and, and, in particular, networking online. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, my first thought was, how am I going to do a book tour, right? It, It was about, well, what about me? And then it became, hold on, what about the audience? Will readers need this more than they did before or is it irrelevant? And, you know, the answer is yes, they need it. So, You know, it's been, it's been intense Uh, in terms of rewriting it. I mean, it it really was on its way to the printer, but they let me, they let me make a few edits. We decided together to not rewrite anything, but just have a few moments of, you know, in parentheses, it's even worse Mm -hmm. because of COVID Uh, and COVID just makes the point that I was trying to make in the book, which is that we have work to do when it comes to women being in power uh, and having equity in their companies with men.
0: It's a really hard time for women. Obviously, we know that this recession is being led by female unemployment in December alone. All of the jobs lost in December were held by women. And so your book arrives at a very important time. In the age of COVID, what can women specifically do to not just keep their jobs, but enter the workforce feeling supported? I
1: My advice is the same, whether it's COVID or not. It's just even more important now that we do this. I want women to stop waiting to be recognized and rewarded when they look at who's in leadership. Right. Who does it look like? It's white men. So clearly there are systemic issues happening here. And, you know, I talk about it in the book, but I don't want us to just wait for the system to change. So first, we have to make sure we're advocating for ourselves, which, you know. First, you have to deeply believe that you're worthy of advocacy. I think every time that you do something excellently, which is all the time, but when you get a really nice email giving you feedback or you happen to sort of win at work, forward it to your boss. Also keep track of this stuff and every week give them a rundown of the things you did, the impact you had on the company, particularly if you're, I don't know, saving time for the company or saving money, which is, you know, really the same thing. And so companies are definitely looking to, to make sure that they're protecting their bottom line. So if you can continually demonstrate to them that you are doing that and again, not waiting until say the annual review to get the feedback from them, but you are the proactive one. That will go a long way, especially now that we're remote and you don't get the, you know, swinging by somebody's desk kind of fake time, FaceTime.
0: Yeah. Talk about that a little bit, because, you know, you you mentioned like forward the email is how do you present your best self and let your boss know about all of your uh, accomplishments virtually? And does it really make the same kind of impact when you're forwarding an email as opposed to talking about it in person? I guess you could always host a Zoom call.
1: <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, remember, everybody, if you're worried about bragging, their success is your success. They have to go report to their boss about what the team has done, you know, the great work that they've done. So this is an opportunity to reassure them that they are doing a great job by you doing a great job. So let's for a second, put away the mindset of like, I'm bragging, or this is weird to bring this Mm -hmm. sort of stuff up. Then I would have designated check-in times and say, I mean, listen, you probably listening already are doing things like this, but times are weird. I want to make sure that Things aren't falling through the cracks. So can we schedule a standing meeting every week or every other week? It can be five minutes. And during that time, you tell them what you did the week before. And you can put it in context like, you know, I had this really interesting conversation with the client. You know, they said this about our work, but it made me think of, right? So it's almost starting this larger conversation, maybe about where the industry is going or how to work better with clients. So you don't feel like you're just randomly dropping your accomplishments. Although, of course, I welcome you to do that too.
0: Who's your target audience, Claire? Is it mostly the younger workforce or is this meant to be advice for everybody and that these imposter syndrome characteristics you you point out, is this pretty much paramount or are we talking mostly younger professionals who are newer to the workplace? I wish I had had this book when I was younger, but
1: it is for every woman. You know, to be honest, actually, it's for everybody. My publisher forwarded it to her brother and said, ignore the title, just skip to the chapter and interviewing. Um, So it's for any woman, uh, any industry, any level, I think for the younger women, they definitely should read this you know learn from the painful maybe mistakes or situations that we've all been in as sort of older women uh, but honestly it's for the person who wants to you know advocate for themselves so they can get what they want at work
0: through your work as the co-founder of ladies get paid you yourself described it, that that experience has given you a bird's eye view of what women are concerned about in the workplace. And it's all in this book. What would you say is the top concern? Is it the emotional stuff or is it the more logistical how to stuff of like asking for the raise? What is the language that I use? Or is it more just kind of getting the emotional requirements figured out, like to be confident, to be self-assured, to not have imposter syndrome? That's the
1: first step. That's always the first step. I mean, I, I went across the country a few years ago hosting town halls in 19 cities um, and the subject was money, but it really was more about what money represents. So freedom and power and, and worth. The thing that every woman had in common, and I probably saw over 3,000 women, imposter syndrome and perfectionism, that was the universal. Now, is that the reason we're being held back? I think it's very small reason we're being held back. I think the bigger reason is when you are told no, whether it is no to a promotion or no to the raise or not getting the kind of opportunities that you want or maybe being rejected from a job, what do you do next? I'm more concerned with women doing the comeback, not taking it as you know an indictment of their self-worth or, or saying, well, I can't, you know, I'm not getting this job, so I'm not worthy of this job. No, it's let's think more strategically and let's reach out to people who we don't even think will respond to us. So so part of it, you know, again, it's the internal obstacles, but it's also being strategic and having the resilience to keep trying.
0: And is it totally okay to ask for a raise right now? I think my audience knows my answer to this, which is it's totally appropriate. Assuming that your company is healthy and in good standing and you've been doing the good work. Um, what's your take on asking for money in, in a recession? And on top of that, a pandemic? Always, always ask. Otherwise, you are 100%
1: guaranteed to not get it. Now, that being said, ask with empathy. Uh, So I wouldn't necessarily say, hey, I know, you know, times are tough and budgets are small, right? Because that's making it easy for them to just say, yeah, you're right. I would just say it is strange negotiating during a pandemic, right? You can kind of make a joke about it. I also want you to remember that the person that you're negotiating with, well, they probably have to negotiate for themselves because this is going on for a year and they probably want to raise. So keep in mind, right, you're human, you're trying, by the way, you can always blame it on me and you and say, I'm concerned about the wage gap. You know, I have to do right by women and ask for this. Uh, that being said, you may get a no. And so I want you to have already in your back pocket, what are all the things that you can ask for that, you know, don't cost the company much money, but will bring you a lot of value. In mm-hmm. particular, I really recommend career develop career development. So getting them to pay for you to go to conferences. Or, or to take classes and you know why, A, it's going to help you level up at your current job, but also you can leverage it for your next job. And yes, we should always, always have our eyes and ears out for other opportunities because you may find that the answer is no, and that's just not going to work for you. So you know, to be the strongest negotiator you can, it's really having other options so you can walk away if you need to.
0: Yeah, you call this helpful compensation, where you negotiate for things that maybe it's not money, but it's other things. What are other things right now that could be really valuable to us other than, you know, going to get maybe career development? But I think flexibility is a huge one, too. Well, it's funny. I always tell women, you know, negotiate
1: and see if you can work some days from home. And now women are probably like, I really want to go back to work. This is terrible. But, you know, once this is all over, I highly recommend doing that. I think, you know, if you're the default caretaker, everybody who has kids, you know that the school, the time that school ends, you know, and the time that you get out of work, it's not quite synced up. So flexibility is one. Signing bonus if it's a new job or pushing back the start date. Uh, pay time off when we have to commute again, paying for your gas money. Um, I mean, really anything and everything that will help you do and be better. That being said, when you talk about it, really position it as how it's going to be be a benefit to them or think backwards from, well, what are all the reasons that they're going to tell me no? How do I proactively address that? Um, And they may be relieved that they can give you these things if they aren't able to give you a raise You know, they want to make you happy because it is expensive for them if you were to walk away. So everyone's on the same page. You all want to make it work. And this is a way uh, to find a compromise.
0: You brought up a bonus, signing bonus. Actually, a reader, a listener rather, emailed me about this where she just got offered a job, which is great news. Uh, We often forget that people are still getting hired in this market. And she would like to ask for a signing bonus. She's never done it. Honestly, I've never done that. Do you have any advice around this? Is this something that a lot of people can do? Or is it just specific to certain industries? I've heard it uh,
1: from multiple industries. And I actually spoke to a woman in my community last week about it. They offered her a salary that was below what she wanted. She informed them that. And then proactively made the suggestion, listen, if you can't get me, you know, to the salary I'm asking for, how about a signing bonus? And guess what? The signing bonus they gave her ended up getting her to the annual salary she was asking for. Now, if you're listening, you're thinking, well, hold on. If they didn't have the money to give her the salary, then where they come up with the money for the signing bonus, different budgets. A lot of times companies will have different budgets depending on, you know, there's the career development budget or there's the, you know, there is the salary budget and they can also pull from other budgets. you don't even know of because they want to make this work. So she, you know, she demonstrated to them that she was open to making a compromise and being flexible and trying to get creative. And when she suggested a signing bonus, it opened up the conversation rather than getting to the you know dead end of,
0: well, I just can't do that salary. All right. I'm going to make sure she's listening to this episode for that answer. That's very, very hopeful. Claire, you talk about the importance of women leaning on one another, building that support system, that network to rise. I always say a rising tide lifts all boats. What, What should we be doing more with one another? Should we be sharing our salaries? How should we be advocating for one another in the workplace? What's your advice on how to support your female colleagues, both within your company and even in your industry?
1: Yes. Share your salary, though. Remember, if you're trying to figure out how much to charge, please ask white men because they are being paid the most. So don't limit your conversations. I you want to don't make limit. what he's
0: making. Right. That's
1: right. Um, I would say, you know, in the workplace, a really great way to demonstrate support is to do what's called shine theory. Uh, this is a shout out to Aminatu Sao and Ann Friedman. They host the podcast Call Your Girlfriend. Um, and so, essentially, what this is is to publicly recognize another woman. So, in a meeting. Farnoosh says something, she has a great idea. And I say, wow, Farnoosh, that was a great idea. Let me build off of that. Uh, It's also making sure that everybody, uh, you know, acknowledges her contribution. So, you know, men are not speaking over her or taking her ideas. So that goes a long way. Um, And I also recommend privately telling somebody that they're you know, that there's a woman on their team that you thought did an excellent job, right? Telling somebody's manager. And it'll make you look good because you're essentially demonstrating that this is the sort of behavior we need to do. So, you know, be the support to other women that you would like them to be for you. And you will see it pay off if just only in feeling confident in yourself.
0: Do you think companies should publish their salaries? You know, I think it's
1: complicated. I, I think yes, as long as they are willing to, A, have one-on-one meetings with every single person there who wants to, that they are transparent with the context, why somebody's being paid this. Because everything's on a sliding scale, right? There's the pay band. And I don't believe that necessarily two people on the same level might need to be getting paid the exact same amount because... One of them may have a master's degree, or you know, have come from another company that they now are bringing a bunch of clients with them. Right? There, there's reasons that people are paid, you know, more than others, uh, and not just sexes of discrimination. So if the company needs to contextualize it so that people understand not only you know how their comp was determined, but also maybe what they need to do to get to the next level, then we're not, you know, they're not feeling resentful because that that's what. When things aren't transparent, people talk. And so I think it's better to proactively tell people why and how this is.
0: So along those lines, maybe, maybe not make your salaries transparent, but what do you think should be mandated, whether that's reform, new policy, overarching laws that can help women feel supported, be supported in the workplace? And I'm talking specifically too about women who are caregivers, because one of the reasons we saw so many women get force out of the workforce in recent months, in the recent year, is because they had to choose, basically. They couldn't work and be there for their families in this moment. So what, what would you like to see happen? Paid family leave, paid time off.
1: Uh, you know, It's shown that, I mean, listen, the wage gap, there's a couple of things that contribute to it, but one of the biggest factors in the wage gap is what's called the motherhood penalty. So for every woman, when she has a child, she sees a 4% reduction in her pay. And what's really sick is that on the flip side, men who become fathers, they get 4 to 6% pay bump. Now, is that paid family leave? You know, is that an issue? Well, maybe partly because maybe the women take time off and then they're looked at as, well, you're not as committed or you have less experience um, or there really is no paid time off. And so the woman says, I can't afford childcare. So I quite frankly have to quit and it becomes this sort of forced choice. So I think being vigilant about pay equity when it comes to mothers and then giving them the be- ability to stay home and be paid and to not lose momentum, to not lose their job, to not be sidelined, that will go a long, long way.
0: Yeah. Maybe the choice is pay them while they're time, during time off or universal childcare. Maybe you can opt into the child care track or be home for, you know, the year or for the six months. I think there's so many case studies at this point, other countries that are doing this and how effective it is. Um, Why do you think we've been so slow to doing this? Part of me thinks that culturally also we need to see a paradigm shift. Like culturally, forget policy and employers and, and the government, like everyday people, today still think that it is a man's responsibility to be the breadwinner. And so with that comes all these other biases, I suppose, that women should be at home or shouldn't get paid as much or men get the pay bump when they become a dad because now they're providing, right? So what do you think? I mean, how do we change an entire culture's mindset around gender roles and career? Um, uh, that takes time. You know, it takes people like you and, and people like me in my book to do that.
1: I wouldn't wait for how we're socialized and, and seeing that shift because that's going to be a very, very long time. Um, we need to see more women in power. We need to see more progressive folks in power, which means taking a look at your recruitment pipeline and who do you promote and who do you consider a leader? I just feel like if there's diversity in leadership, you're gonna have a diversity of experiences. And so women and particularly mothers, if they're in leadership, well, they may have a better, more intimate understanding of the biases that maybe they experienced when they were younger or, you know, it's hard when you don't see yourself in another person. So I Mm -hmm. think for a lot of men, you know, the structure of work, it was made by and for them. Well, I mean, my mother was only the third class of women in her college. So it, it hasn't been that long Uh, while at the same time it's been too long. So, you know, I I think there's no quick, easy answer other than let's get more diversity in leadership. Uh, And then for groups like Paid Leave US, Katie Bethel's great, you know, let's all get behind Uh, Nonprofits that are specifically lobbying elected officials. Because, yes, on companies, they need to do the right thing. But at the end of the day, accountability comes when laws change. And so, well, let's also get diversity in politicians, you know, people who are in Mm -hmm. elected office. So it's holistic. And that's why it begins with us, the individual, advocating for ourselves, advocating on behalf of others at our workplace. It then goes to our managers and company leadership to implement policies that support. All of you know, all of the women like paid family leave. And then it is lobbying elected officials to see more widespread change, like minimum wage, like universal childcare, or paid family leave. Because as you mentioned, other countries do that. And there's research that says the bottom yeah. line is improved, right? It'll right. add to the GDP. They'll be healthier people.
0: You know, there's a monetary
1: thing, we, thing here. Live,
0: you know, we we live in a capitalist world. We're all driven by profit. So so we need to amplify that data because I think that is ultimately what's going to move the needle. It's not what I'd like for to be the the needle mover. You know, I'd like it for just be because you know we're empathetic we're an empathetic society that believes in equal rights, but. We love money too in this country. And when we show the data that says when you have more diversity in your board of directors, in the C suite, in on the front lines, everywhere represented in the company, the bottom line benefits. And yeah, I, I think it's like financially it's it's a no brainer. My friend Karen Kahn, who runs iFundWomen, Women, she's like, I don't believe in funding women's businesses in the name of I mean, I do believe in feminine equality, but I I do it because women's businesses perform better. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. a really smart business decision to give women money to start businesses. So it's messages like that, that I think are, are necessary. And the other thing that I'll just say is that, and I'm sure you agree, is that we need to start, we need to move away from this message being exclusive to women's Rights and women's benefits, that when women are granted equal rights and opportunity, everybody wins. This is not just a woman's issue. No, and and it's it's actually a
1: poverty issue. A
0: huge problem in this
1: country is single mothers, and particularly women of color, single mothers, they're hourly. So they have no benefits or very little benefits um, on top of that compounded, you know, racism beyond the sexism. And now you see all these children in poverty. And you see health problems. I mean, again, this touches every single person in this country, whether or not you feel it. Uh, So I don't understand why the data is not being listened to. That's my concern. Like these companies see the data. They just do. They see that their bottom line is improved by 15% when there's diversity in leadership. I think the concern is those who are in power, if... They're ceding power. That's the problem. If they promote somebody else, well, then does that mean that they no longer have as much power? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, (laughs) I once did a town hall in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and this one woman got up there. She was this older woman. And she said, you know, I don't know if we have to wait till these men fucking die. But in the meantime, like push them out of the way, you know, and of course, I'm saying let's be a little more diplomatic and strategic than that. But I wonder if she had a point.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it does end up becoming, you wonder at some point, is it political? It's complicated, but I think you're right. We have to just keep pushing and keep repeating, you know, like there's there's no harm in repeating the, the good news, which is that um, when you give women the rights and the opportunities and the equal pay, it's not just benefiting her, it's her family, it's her community, it's the business. We could go on. When you were writing this book, I love asking authors, uh, especially authors in the self-development space, when you were writing this book, I'm sure you approached it with already like so many ideas, you hit the ground running, but as you were putting it to bed and as you were dotting the I's and crossing the T's, were there some things that surprised you in terms of maybe the advice you gave or the things that you learned? Um, How did your book teach you? Uh, That's that's the
1: thing. It taught me. Uh, I Everything I wrote about, you know, has come from the community. I mean, the way the book is structured, I follow the lives of nine real women. Each of them is going through a different professional challenge. And as I tell their story, I kind of stop along the way and I give advice, sort of like I'm, you know, career coaching them and then the reader gets to eavesdrop on it. Turns out I was actually writing the book for me. As I wrote imposter syndrome, I was having a total meltdown on whether or not I was an author, perfectionism, uh, time management. I mean, again, I knew all of these things, but it had been a while since I challenged myself this much. Um, So I think it surprised me uh, how much I (laughs) how therapeutic this was for me. Uh, And by therapeutic, I mean sort of painful, Um, although I'm you know, I think it turned out beautifully and I'm very proud of myself. It definitely, definitely was a journey.
0: Well, we're so happy you're on the other side of things. And what's next for Ladies Get Paid, but also your life as an author?
1: Well, uh, ladies get paid. We have a video library. We we started that at the beginning of COVID, so we do webinars every week and different kinds of events. But now you can get a subscription to them. So, 100 plus hours of finance uh, and career development. So there's that. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot more videos on YouTube now. We started a YouTube channel, and maybe I'll write a second book. Which of you know? I think any author, you know, you write your first book and you say I'll never do that again, and then it comes out and you're like mm, maybe I will do it again. So I think I think for me personally I'm going to be looking at the next book I can write and then for the organization we'll just keep expanding the kind of educational content that we can produce mm-hmm. both me and also all of the career coaches that we team up with.
0: And hopefully next time when your books out and you know we'll be in person doing this or <laughs> I'm sure you can't wait to have another, you know, town hall, real physical town hall.
1: Yes, but I'm also enjoying that I wear pajamas on my bottom
0: every <laughs> What are you talking about? I don't know that
1: life. Yeah. I I and listen, I you know I'm like, "Oh man, I never want to go back to tight pants." And then I realized, "Claire, you don't have to." Like, sure, you should probably get out of your pajamas, but maybe we'll all start dressing differently when this is they're done. They're
0: making really nice pajamas now that people wear on TV or like t- to job interviews. If you see they're like these silk it like has a pajama look to it. Let's normalize syndrome. this. I think this is great for,
1: for women, especially those who've, you know, been like wearing. It's a new fashion. Yes. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think this is just such a great time to, to, for people to network virtually, join groups like ladies get paid. You know, we all need connection and you don't need it in, in person to do that. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I, I love Absolutely. talking to you. I appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. The book, everybody's called Ladies Get Paid, Breaking Barriers, Owning Your Worth, and Taking Command of Your Career. Claire, have a great one. Awesome. Thanks so much, Farnoosh. Thanks so much to Claire for joining us. Check out ladiesgetpaid.com to learn more about the book and also the organization, Ladies Get Paid. Remember, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe and leave a review for So Money. Every Friday, I select a reviewer of the week who will get a free 15-minute money phone call with me. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Coming up on Wednesday, advice for parents and families and students who are on their way to college. Our guest is Ron Lieber, New York Times financial editor and columnist, and also the author of the new book, The Price You Pay for College, an entirely new roadmap for the biggest financial decision your family will ever make. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money.